Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Cecilia Rabbis is the author of Everything's Fine. Cecilia previously worked as a data scientist at Google and as an associate at Goldman Sachs. Her nonfiction has been featured in McSweeney's, 538, Fast Company, and Flowing Data, among other places. Everything's Fine is her debut novel. Welcome, Cecilia. Thanks for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books to discuss Everything's Fine. Thank you so much for having me. I am extremely excited to be here because this is my very first podcast ever. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like uh, publicists usually put me first because I'm like a very warm and gentle podcast and it's yeah. not very like professional. It's just, it's literally just a conversation. So delighted. Yeah. Well, tell everybody about your book. What is your book about? 
Yeah, so Everything's Fine is the story of two very different young people, and they fall sort of reluctantly, complicatedly, but also quite deeply in love. Jess is the protagonist, and she's a young Black woman, and she's liberal, and she meets Josh. She's this young white guy, and he's conservative, and the book is set between the years of 2008 and 2016, so, you know, bookended by Obama and Trump's presidencies, and so sort of the arc of their relationship traces the arc of America's increasingly fractured political climate. And so, yeah, as you can guess, complications ensue. (laughs) Amazing. And it also is like a a very in-depth look at what it means to be an analyst at an investment bank and what that culture is like. And yeah, just, I feel like the bank itself is like a character. (laughs) and the culture. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because I I guess I think of it as sort of like, yes, it's a love story. Yes, it's a coming-of-age story, but it's also a workplace novel. So yeah, it packs a lot in. It really does. And you have such a great sense of voice. It's really great. And and even just the way that the title plays in and how it's so... We're also quick to be like, no, 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 we're fine. Everything's fine, you know? And lie. Yeah. It's not a lie. It's just like you can't even deal with getting into the stuff. Right. Yeah. Like sometimes it's a lie you're telling yourself. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a lie you're telling someone else. But sometimes you just really want it to be so. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think I kind of play with all of those ideas in the novel. So I watched like the little Instagram reel you did about what it was like writing your novel and and, like the frustration of that and how it's now finally coming to fruition. Tell me about the whole process of getting here and, you know, having your book sold at auction and that's so amazing. So tell me the whole story and maybe just back up and give me a little background that might not be on your bio. Yeah. So I have always loved reading and writing. So I'm going way back to the beginning. Yeah. Go way back all the way. (laughs) I think that's pretty typical for writers. I think it's rare to find someone who didn't like love to read as a kid. So that's my story as well. But I think unlike maybe many writers, I ended up just completely like pivoting away from sort of like English literature, liberal arts. And I ended up going to business school, working in finance, working in tech. I'm still a data scientist. And so kind of always had this passion for writing and reading, but like wasn't really pursuing it professionally. Then, you know, I turned 30 and like did the whole thing where I like take stock and I was like, am I going to climb a mountain or am I going to write a novel? And I was kind of out of shape. So I decided to write a novel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was a pretty chaotic process, you know, so I didn't really have a process. I just kind of like regurgitated everything on the page. And actually, I guess I can take a step back here and say that when I started writing the novel, I think I knew that I wanted to write a love story, but I didn't really have any idea beyond that. Like I didn't know who the characters would be, what the setting was, like what the central tension would be. So I was sitting there with this idea to write a novel, but not really sure how to go about it. And it was 2018. And so it was the middle of Trump's presidency. I think a lot of people on the left, myself included, were still kind of like trying to figure out like what had happened and like how to reckon with all that like we had seen happen in our nation. And so I read actually an article or I saw an article in New York Magazine that was called Donald Trump is Destroying My Marriage. (laughs) And I think initially I was like extremely turned off by the headline. I was like, "Ah, I just I don't want to hear about people sort of saying like we agree to disagree, like fa la la. But I was, you know, intrigued. And so I did click 
And the article was actually pretty fascinating, a lot more nuanced than the headline suggested. And basically the premise was that there were couples who were struggling to keep it together in Trump's America, where previously they had sort of been able to skirt past some of their political differences. And so I was like, aha, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot to say about like, where we are today in America. I have this idea for a love story. Like, why don't I just smash them together? And so that's kind of the origin story of Everything's Fine. So I spent several years, you know, just kind of like writing in circles sometimes, but basically like trying to make the book better bit by bit. And then finally, I think my story is somewhat traditional in this sense. I just kind of started sending the book out to agents. And one thing I'll say is that I I sort of didn't follow, like there's rules or best practices for reaching out to agents. But as soon as I hit the end on my first draft, I was like, okay, I'm going to get an agent now, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to revise. <laughs> you're supposed to push the book as far as you can without feedback from professional. But I sent it out anyway. I was super excited And as you can imagine, I got absolutely zero interest because the book just wasn't where it needed to be. How did you find the agents anyway? Did you like look in a book or did you know anybody or like, how did you, how did that even happen? So one thing, you know, I think that people tell you is to like look in the acknowledgement sections of books that you love and like find those agents and reach out to them. So I did a version of that, but what I did to be like, hopefully slightly more strategic was I thought about like the premise of my novel and then I looked at various agents' manuscript wish lists and tried to like match like almost word for word what I thought I was writing with what they expressed interest in reading because I was like, okay, if they're definitely interested in this book, if executed well and they reject me, then I know it's the execution and not the premise. So it was kind of like, I don't know, just trying to tease out like where I could do better kind of like free professional advice as well. Even though the rejection sting, I think it was, you know, somewhat helpful to just like hear back from someone who knew what they were doing. So I did a round of querying and not a lot came of that except for some feedback. I revised some more. I queried again. The book was in much better shape. I still didn't necessarily get, well, I didn't get an agent, but I got a lot more sort of bites. And one agent in particular, I don't know why she did this. I sent her the book and she rejected it like immediately. And you're not supposed, you're not supposed to reach back out to agents and ask them why they rejected your book, because I guess that's like poor form. They're very busy people. It's a little bit rude. They can't answer everyone. But I just was like, I'm curious because I thought you might like this. And she was extremely kind and generous. And she wrote back And she said, you know what, why don't I just take a look at the whole manuscript and I'll give you feedback. And it wasn't like she was saying, I might offer you representation if you can make this change or that change. She was just like being a good literary citizen. So she read the book. She gave me feedback. I didn't take any of the feedback, but I think (laughs) it did for me. Yeah, it wasn't actually... I thought you were going to say she read the whole thing and took it. No, it's funny because like she knew that it wasn't for her, like, but I guess she just wanted to like help me out. That's so nice. Yeah. And I think that sort of like people say sometimes, you know, not every agent is for every writer and it's hard to to accept that when you're just like banging your head against the wall trying to find an agent, but that is the case. So she read it and she gave me feedback and she was very generous, but it just wasn't feedback that resonated with me, but it did sort of make me feel taken seriously as a writer. So I went back to the, not the drawing board completely, but I kind of like went back to basics and like 
revised and like fixed up the manuscript and sent it out one more time. So were these all different sets of agents? You didn't repeat. Correct. Okay. I didn't repeat. I didn't. Okay. Repeat. So now you're in your third round of, of submissions. Okay. Go ahead. Correct. And that's when I found success. So then, you know, the hit rate was high. Multiple agents were interested. I found my amazing agent, which funnily enough is not someone I queried. I actually queried someone at her agency who said, it's not for me, but my you know, colleague might be interested. So yes, I guess I call it a traditional story in the sense that I literally just emailed agents, but it was a bit of a roundabout. Interesting. So who is your agent? She is fantastic. She's at WME and her name is Andrea Blatt. Amazing. Wow. That's awesome. So during all those rewrites and, you know, tweaks, did you ever consider giving up and just being like, okay, I guess it's not going to happen? Yeah, I am sure I did because I feel like there were lots of like it was an emotional roller coaster. I'm sure I was like scraped off the floor many times by my friends and family. But I don't think I ever felt like giving up completely. I think I just had all sorts of like cockamamie ideas for how to revise the manuscript to make it work. One of which was actually shifting the entire timeline 30 years into the past because I felt like 2016 was still quite raw for a lot of people and someone who might be predisposed to enjoy the book could just feel distracted by all of the politics of it. So I was like, let's just do this in 1980. And the funny thing was, it was a really easy sort of mapping because not a lot has changed. Like people were literally even running on Make America Great Again, if you recall Ronald Reagan. So that was kind of just an interesting, actually gave me a little bit more conviction Um, in the story because I was like, this is just America's story, you know, and it might not be for everyone, but I feel like I, I am going to tell it. Wow. And then, okay, just because now I'm invested in your journey here. So you got the agent and then did you revise it a little before sending it out or you sent it right away? Well, that is the amazing thing. So the timeline is really remarkable. That I'd say is not traditional. So I think I emailed my agent or she emailed me because her colleague had passed along my manuscript on, let's say, a Friday. And she said, I'm going to take a read. I'll let you know. And then by Saturday, she had reached out and she was like, I love it. Like, let me just like make a few calls and like, I'll get back to you. And I didn't know what she meant by that. But she was reaching out to other agents at the agency, like foreign sales agent, film and TV agents, getting them to read it. And so she kind of like had assembled this crack team of agents that I spoke to, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday, sort of like pitching me on the agency and their passion for the project. And I was like, all right, I'm sold. So maybe by like Wednesday, she was my agent. And, you know, based on what I've heard from other writers, I was like, all right, we're going to like maybe go back and forth for a couple of months, like get the manuscript in shape. And she's like, no, there's just one thing I want you to change. And it was literally just like a continuity issue. So I changed that on, let's say Thursday. I was still working full time. So it was a bit of a stretch, but I was, you know, feeling her momentum. Um, And then she sent it out, I think the next Monday to editors. And then I was like, all right, here's where I'm going to have to wait a minute. Um, But then no, by like Thursday, I had an offer. No. Yeah, it happened extremely quickly. But my agent, I cannot sing her praises highly enough. She is like, impossible to say no to. Like, I assure you, like, I'm sure every editor who heard from her is like, okay, I got to drop everything, do what she tells me, because that's just kind of her her energy. Wow. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And then it went to auction. So then when did you have your deal? Probably by the next week. So, Oh my gosh. I heard from, yeah, I heard from editors starting on that Thursday and then scheduled conversations with them Thursday, Friday, and some like the Monday of the next week. Then there was an auction and I think there were two rounds of bids. Oh my gosh. And yeah, by the end of the next week, yeah, I had a book deal. That is insane. It's amazing. That is so inspiring. So what were you feeling when this was all going on? Like, could you believe it was happening or were you just like, yes? Of course. I I mean, first of all, I would describe myself as a post-processor. So like anything that happens to me, I need like at least a year to like kind of come to terms with. Like, I'm not joking. So I think I was just like completely in shock, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was really funny because I told my, I was, you know, telling my mom about this as it was happening. And she was like, make sure it's not a scam. Like, don't give them your social security number. (laughs) That's really funny. I was just like extremely surreal. Like no one expects this, you know? She'd seen me sort of struggle with the novel for many years, so. I was curious when you were meeting with, or I am curious, when you were meeting with different publishers and hearing all about whatever they thought about the book or what they were like, how did you choose your publisher? And like, what stood out to you? Like, how did you decide and... Like what disappointed you not to not don't name names or anything, but just like in general? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, you know, I learned a lot from those conversations that now I think I would carry into book two. But at the time, I didn't really know anything about. So one thing is just like having conviction in your vision, which I think generally I'm a pretty easygoing person, open to feedback. If somebody's like, why don't you change like the character to like... I don't know, a Scandinavian. I'm like, sure, let's try it. That was a weird example, but I think. (laughs) (laughs) But so I think one thing that I noticed a lot was that some editors were very interested in changing things that felt quite central to the Mm -hmm. core of the novel. Like I think one editor who seemed quite enthusiastic, wanted to get rid of all the politics. Yeah, if you read the book, you'll know why that doesn't necessarily work. Um, and so that was an easy conversation in that I was like, well, we're, we're probably not 
on the same page. But then I think it can get a little trickier when the suggestions are subtler and there are things that you hadn't necessarily thought too hard about. Like, you know, is the character going to like go home for Thanksgiving or not? And like, you know, things like that, I think it forces you to sort of really ask yourself, like, what am I trying to say? How am I trying to say it? Like, what will I compromise and what won't I compromise? So that was something that I learned that was sort of interesting because, you know, when you're writing a book by yourself in the corner, like you can just do whatever you want and no one's opinion matters. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. When I, um, I tried to sell a novel for the first time in 2005 or something like that. And it was about, it was based on a true story, but I fictionalized it about losing my best friend on 9-11. And it was all about, thank you. It was all about 9-11. Like it all, that was the core of the thing. And it was about it. And I went to business school also, by the way. So oh, yeah. Where did you go? Business school. I went to Harvard. Okay, cool. How about you? Booth. Nice. Booth. Booth. Yeah. Awesome. And I was, by the way, one of the few, you know, creative writers. And, you know, I was like, am I here for like, just to mix it up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also love marketing and all that stuff. So, but anyway, one of the agents wrote back and said, you know, I really liked it, but could you have the friend die in a car accident? And I was like, what? That's like the entire book. What? Yeah. You know, she like really liked the friendship piece, but thought it was like too soon for that. So I don't know. That, that's how you know. Yeah. So now that after all this hard work and time and energy and excitement, now that it's like getting much closer to coming out, how are you feeling about things? And, you know, how ready are you? And, you know, give me the whole... Yeah, I think I'm like as little ready as someone can be for something that they've been preparing for, for like five years. (laughs) It feels like, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but like a wedding, you know, I've been like planning for so long. There's so much build up and sort of brouhaha. And so I'm sure like when the day comes, I will feel a lot, but I'm not even sure like if I'll be able to process it. But of course, it's not just the day that matters, even though that's what it feels like sometimes. It's sort of like the whole, you know, the marriage or like the career of being a writer and like the life of this book. So I think I'm kind of uncomfortably excited. Okay. But we, I I think I have a lot of like fun events planned. So I hope that takes the edge off. But yeah, it's really nerve wracking, you know, like you're, it's interesting because I didn't realize before sort of getting on this like publishing train, how many people would engage with the book before it even hit shelves. So I've sort of had like a bit of experience more than I thought. Like, yeah, people read it months in advance. Like I thought it would just be like on June 6th, suddenly like everybody knows what I've been doing for the past (laughs) half a decade. But so, yeah, I think I'm somewhat prepared, but I don't know if there's anything that can prepare you. Well, my two cents, not that you need it at all, but because I had my, my memoir came out last July and I was like, you know, I'd worked for 20 years on and off with the same story and I was so nervous and all this. And like, you just have to keep in mind that like consumers don't know that like, like the average consumer shopping for a book is not like, okay, today's Tuesday, June 6th. And I've got to go out and get, this is the day, the way that it works in movies sometimes like Mm. the book buying population, aside from people like closer to the industry, I don't think are as, well, I shouldn't make generalizations. What I'm trying to say is like, it doesn't all happen that first week. That makes sense to me. Cause yeah, I don't think I go to bookstores on 
Tuesday morning. No, you don't even think about it, right? Yeah. Like it's just the next time you go to a store, maybe you'll look at new releases and you'll see what's out there. Yeah. So I kind of wish I had known that myself. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if if nothing happens the day after pub day, like how could people even read it? Like how could people even yeah. finish it in order to like yeah. it and post about it and spread the word? Yeah. Like all that's not, I mean, yours seems like it's in a totally different category. There's so much buzz and all this stuff. So I'm not worried, but you know, it just, it can take a little longer to have people find it and start reading it and finish it. Like let people yeah. have time to finish reading it. Yeah. Did you see that article that went around by, I guess the bookseller did a survey of debut authors and found that 54% of them felt like debuting as an author was bad for their mental health. Oh, I did not see that, but now I'm going to look that up. I'm going to write this down. I think it's, yeah, it's because you're, yeah, you're waiting for something that might not happen. Hmm. Also, I think, yeah, I I would say probably 54% of authors have an anxiety disorder <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to, to start with. Do you know what I mean? I say, say that from a place of love, given that I have had anxiety my whole life and didn't realize it was anything problematic. I just thought it was the way it was. So, But I, I do feel I've met so many like-minded people. And you have to kind of like always be wondering why or what if, right? And that is a sort of similar to the anxious frame of mind. Yeah. Although, you know, yeah. So, so I think that it's not like the most confident people are all in the same boat. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't and know. I, yeah, I guess I feel like having worked in like data and analytics, like there are obviously metrics, like you can see how many books sell, but I feel like it still feels like a bit of a black hole. Yes. Sometimes. And it's not, that doesn't count necessarily how many times they've been taken out of the library or how many times yeah. you've shared or sometimes the audiobook sales take like a quarter to get. And you just don't know. It, it, yeah. There's lots going on. I don't know. I put an email address in the book. So I, and I said, if you finish this and you like it, reach out to me, I'll write you back. Oh, which I do. That's nice. So that's the only way that I was like gauging and I was ignoring all the reviews because I was like, don't, if you didn't like this book, please don't write me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but yeah, I was just, it's not going to happen in like one day or maybe for you. Well, but I don't know for the most people. Yeah, no. Pub week is uh, expectation. Yeah. Make it more of a celebration of the accomplishment and like that you can plan and the tour is fun and all of that is great. And you'll meet lots of interesting people, but you know, yeah, just remember who you're selling to. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you've ever spoken to her, but Mung Jin is a writer who I admire. She's like freakishly smart. And her first novel was about like physics. I don't think she said this, but she told me this and it really resonated. It was like, you know, she was in the middle of her book tour and book promotion. And she said, nothing feels as good as writing a novel. You know, no part of the process of writing a novel, including all the promo and the touring, just is as good as like the actual thing, which sounds surprising to an unpublished author because you're like, what about getting a deal? What about getting an agent? But it's, I'm learning that it's true, you know? It's totally different. One is a business yeah. transactional experience and one is a deeply creative experience. So, but anyway, I don't know why I'm giving you advice. You don't need advice. No, please. But, um, you've had this whirlwind success already and I'm sure it will continue. So I hope it's not sounding condescending in any way, you know, no, I, I hardly know, you know. So anyway, I'm excited for you. Are you working on anything else? Do you have a new book in the works and all that? I- you have a new book in the works. It's I'm struggling to find time to work on it, but I actually have, as of last week, an accountability partner. So we're both nice. working on, you know, getting our drafts done by the end of the summer. 
But yeah, that also, I think, is quite a balm to the anxious debut author, like to just start the next thing, because that's really the goal, at least for me, just to like write one and then another one and keep going. Yep. I want to do a thing to the anxious debut author for Zippy Mag <laughs> and get quotes. I'll, I'll come back and tell you. Because that's that's great. And is there anything you love to do when you're not writing or data processing and doing all the things? Oh, yeah, that's a fun question. There's a few things. Like, I love snow sports. It's this passion that I developed actually moving to California. Like, people in California are, like, for real. Like, they will wake up at 6 a.m. to go hiking. Like, it's normal. (laughs) I didn't grow up like that. Um, So I kind of have adopted this sort of outdoorsy lifestyle. And part of that, for the first time ever, I went skiing when I moved out here, which was a decade ago now. And I'm super into it. That's awesome. Are you in LA? I'm in San Francisco. Oh, you're in San Francisco. Awesome. Well, you should, if you, I don't know, I'm sure you should come to Zivi's bookshop in Santa Monica. I have a, yeah, I would love coming? to. I just saw that yeah. you opened it. I did. Yeah. It's beautiful. If you want to add a tour stop or whatever, we're happy to do um, it. Yeah, I'll definitely stop by. I think I'm going to be in, it's in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I'm going to be staying there for a couple of Oh, perfect. Days. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'll be there in June too. Oh, perfect. I'll be there June. I just finally set all my dates for the summer. It took hours between all the kids. Different Where are you based? Schedules. Like, I'm in the Palisades in, in LA. Oh, okay. But oh, but the rest of the time I'm in New York City. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. So go back and forth. But anyway, cool. well, good luck. I hope I see you in LA and uh, I'm really excited for you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks for talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
quince.com slash style. 